She's the cup of coffee your dad brings you in quarantine. She's the first chapter book that you learn how to read. And we're two former slash future students trying our best. This is the Soup Bone Podcast. I'm Tiffany Siet. I'm Genevieve Morvan. And today we're talking about gratitude. Um, actually, we're not going to start by talking about gratitude. We're going to start by talking about library books. Genevieve, you're telling me you're about to pick up your first batch of library books. What is in it? Uh, I'm so excited to pick up these library books. There is seven of them. (laughs) But three of them are books of poetry, so shorter. Um, It's Dance Dance Revolution by Kathy Park Hong. Finna by Nate Marshall. Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith, and then I'm going to get Algorithms of Oppression by Sophia um, Noble, and then I'm going to get Dark Tides by Philippa Gregory, and then I'm going to get The Light Ages by Seb Falk. And The Light Ages and Dark Tides are both, um, I think, history novels, which I'm super excited to read and get into again. Is there one book in particular you're going to start with? Like, how do you usually um, go through your haul? I don't know. Normally, I just, like, go for whichever one I'm most excited about, which is probably going to be Dance Dance Revolution this time. Um, and or if I get The Light Ages, which is about um, medieval medical science. I am Ooh. so excited about that book. That sounds really cool. A yeah. little dark. <laughs> But fun, right? Yeah. What brought what 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 brought you to the light ages? Uh, I looked at my library's uh, suggested books for history, and uh, it was like the fourth or fifth book. And I've been really into watching history stuff. Right now, I'm quarantined uh, for the next two days, and so I've been just like binge watching every history show I can get my hands on, because I think it's like comfortable in a way yeah feels like I'm in high school and someone's just telling me (laughs) history stuff and I love that so I wanted to read something are there any like especially good shows yeah I just found a new YouTube channel called The Watcher and they have a show called Puppet History which sounds ridiculous and I know it sounds ridiculous but uh, it's super funny super good so you should you should check it out okay puppet history mm-hmm. it already sounds it's, great it's so <laughs> what kind of puppets are we talking about like sock puppets like do they have like full-scale professional no they're like real puppets mm-hmm. i think uh like the the main puppet the professor right the one who hosts the show is kind of like uh not cookie monster um what's the other i'm such a dummy i can't think of the name of a puppet right now on sesame street on the red one elmo elmo <laughs> couldn't think of elmo. we're here we're here we are here um <laughs> kind of looks like elmo and then the rest of them are uh handmade just puppets wow. so it's super funny it's a really funny Man, show it's been a while since i've thought about like puppet shows but so many kids shows are puppet based like sesame street puppets or like there's this musical called Avenue Q and it's incredibly satirical. It's like, it's like about some like washed up 
young people who like can't afford Avenue A. So they like move into Avenue Q <laughs> and everyone's just a little like too cynical about life, but it's like a puppet show and the songs are like something out of a puppet show in like how they sound, but in subject matter, it's like so different. That's uh, awesome. Do you have any library books that you have in mind? Yeah, I just went to the library again. I feel like I go every week because something is due and I'll be like, oh, I'll like turn that in and get some more books. And then I end up with way more books than I started. Uh, this time I found the graphic novel slash graphic memoir section um, and I got some stuff from Linda Berry um, someone's recommended to me I got I think I got what it is and I got her book syllabus which is like her note take her notes and her syllabi from like her teaching and her teaching seems so cool I wish I could take a class with Lynn Ferry um and then I got uh the book I was just telling you about spinning by Tilly Walden which is about um about this girl's experience in competitive figure skating for like 12 years but it's also like so much more the way memoirs are like it's about her family and coming out and like growing up and I was reading it yesterday even though I knew I was gonna cry and like of course I cried um and I think I cried because memoirs about childhood especially are like so intense like you forget how intense it is being in like middle school or high school when like girls are like having sleepovers and you're like figuring stuff out and everything feels like so much um and like there's bullying I don't know it was it was a lot (laughs) yeah I mean being that age is insane and the fact that you've only been alive for like 14 years at that point is crazy (laughs) the expectations we place on high schoolers wild I know and like honestly the thing that shocked me about the book was at some point she was like yeah in high school I used snapchat and I was like Snapchat is new. Like, how new is this book? And I look it up, and it came out three years ago. And at that time, she was probably, like, 21 or 22, which is insane. Like, she wrote that so close or, like, so soon after everything happened that I was like, how do you even – how did you even have the space to process all of this? Like, you're still so young. Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to write about high school until I'm much older like it was just a weird not not because it was bad necessarily but just it was weird you know yeah Yeah. Mm. it was so weird I I I don't feel like I can write about high school yet either like I'll probably try to and afterward I was like what's my like competitive figure skating like if I had to write about high school like is there anything you know I still don't feel like that way um you said you also got a book called Something New Tales from a Makeshift Bride by yep. Lucy Knisley. Is that how you say the name? No idea. Your guess is as good as mine. I feel so bad about names, actually, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Because maybe it's because like people mess up my name a lot. And I know people mess up your name a lot, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that like I feel super sensitive when I like try to pronounce other people's names. And it's like... And I think that's, like, become more heightened now that I'm, like, TAing for a virtual class this semester because, like, I'm realizing that names that are familiar or, like, repeated in this culture are, like, easier. They're just going to be easier to pronounce. Um, 
the names that aren't are harder to pronounce but like I don't want it to be that way so like I find myself googling people's names before class to just like double check and even sometimes even when I double check I'll like get it wrong and then I'll feel bad yeah I I understand that I remember when we did our thesis reading I was reading I was introducing Sean and Jessica yeah Jessica Basel Basel Mm -hmm. See, I don't even remember the last name now. And I asked her how she wanted me to pronounce her name beforehand. I was like, I don't want to do this wrong because it's important to me that I get it right for you. And she told me the way that it was pronounced. And then she told me the way that she wished it was pronounced. Mm. And then I said it wrong. And the same thing happened for Sean, his last name. (laughs) His last name is Coughlin. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Oh my god, is it Coughlin or is it Coughlin? No, we're like two, we're like double thinking everyone's name. Oh my god, yeah. And I feel that way also about nicknames. Because like, I asked you this once. I called you Tiff when we were playing Among Us mm-hmm. that one time. And I was like, wait, does she like that nickname? Because I feel like we're often saddled with nicknames and we don't get to choose That's them. That's true. Yeah, and I like... And honestly, I like it when people correct me and, like, talk back at me about their names because I want people to stand up for their names. Yeah. I'm not normally someone who will correct people if they give me a nickname, but I don't like Jenny, uh, Mm. anything close to that. My partner calls me Jean sometimes, and I (laughs) kind of hate that. (laughs) Jean. Yeah. Oof. Um, That reminds me of this Etsy ad. Um, where there's like a Japanese American girl and it shows her going through life where, um, sorry. Okay. It reminds me of this Etsy ad and in it, there's this Japanese American girl. Her name is Shiori or Shiori. And, um, it shows her going through life and everyone messing up her name, like her teacher on a zoom call, like messing up her name or like her at a gift shop looking at, like, the license plates or mugs with names and, like, not being able to find her name. And then it ends with, like, her mom buys her a necklace with her name on it from Etsy. And it's, like, a cute ad, and I think it's, like, clever in some ways, but I also hate it in other ways. (laughs) Just because it's, like, I don't know, like, co-opting this idea of, like, of, like, uh, being from another culture that's not primarily western and like feeling out of place here in order to like sell stuff I don't know I always feel uncomfy with things like that yeah I I understand that feeling I've never been able to find my name at any gift shop ever but I mean western I have my name is Genevieve it's not that difficult but apparently no I guess it's just hard I don't know but I, I I like Etsy for that reason, right? Mm-hmm. To find stuff that you can personalize. I've gotten my mom a couple of gifts mm-hmm. from Etsy, and it's mm-hmm. okay. No, I feel like Etsy is a kinder place than many, like, marketplaces. Cough Amazon. Um, but <laughs> Amazon's awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I know. I, maybe it's, like, advertising in general I have mm-hmm. to, like, reconcile with, because I know it's about selling stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I want to know how you feel about that we went public today with our podcast. How are oh, you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when this episode's going to come out, so this might be much farther in the future, but today our first six episodes came out, or we like posted them, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel anything because this is something I have with like digital spaces. Like I don't feel like it's real until someone responds to it. So like until someone I know like texts me about this or like listens to it, it's not it's not real. It's like not public. How do you feel? I feel really weird about it. Like, I don't know. I feel like we posted it and now people can listen to it and judge me and you and (laughs) I hope people are nice. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think, did I say something stupid? You know? (laughs) Yeah. I worry about that for myself a lot. Like, I'm pretty sure in the first three episodes I say, sure, definitely fine. Like so many times (laughs) and I'm trying so hard to get past that and to not, but I know that I did it a bunch, so yeah. I don't know. Those are minor things, I feel like. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. <laughs> but also, on on the other side, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited that it can other people can listen to it, right? It's not just something that we've been doing all summer. It's something that other people can hear now, and that's cool. That's true. Yeah, it is very exciting to feel like we made something for people to listen to and share. And maybe, like, we'll see. Um, all right. Oh, we had an opening question. Now we're like, we're like 20 minutes in. Here's our opening question. (laughs) Genevieve, um, who is on your acknowledgements page? Your like metaphysical, I don't know, like your actual acknowledgements page for your thesis or like whatever you want to answer this with. Yeah, my acknowledgements page. uh, I wrote one for my thesis, but I think now my acknowledgements page would be my entire family, all of Soupbone, because everyone there has been amazingly informative to me and helped me to learn a bunch of stuff. Um, also, great teachers I've had, Romaine Dorsey would be, Romaine Rubinus Dorsey would be my number one. She was an amazing thesis advisor and forever a friend who produces amazing poetry, and I'm, I'm grateful to have her as a teacher. So she's probably going to be on there forever. <laughs> yeah. And then I said my family, right? So my mm-hmm. whole family as well, because they, they're always good, really yeah. good people. Yeah. That's so true. I love, we've talked about this. I love reading acknowledgements pages in books, even if they're really short, because I feel like, I don't know, it makes me feel like that books are made with families and like communities and other people. And I really love that feeling of thought. Um, the first acknowledgements page that I remember like really loving and paying attention to was in high school, uh, Libba Bray's Going Bovine, which is like a really crazy novel about, I think like a guy gets mad cow disease or something and like goes on a road trip. This is, this might be wildly inaccurate, but the <laughs> acknowledgements page I remember because there, it was like pages long and in the middle at some point she was like, and thank you to this person, um, because if I didn't put them in here, he would stop inviting me to dinner, and I like dinner. <laughs> and it was just so funny and so true that, like, we are indebted to other people and that, like, it's not just about, like, giving advice for your book or, like, writing things or reading things for you. Acknowledgements page is really, like, the summation of, like, how you live in some ways. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stress that goes into writing an acknowledgements page and making sure that everyone is included. Like I remember writing mine, I went over it like eight times 
just reread it, added people, reread it, added people, reread it, added people. And, <laughs> and it keeps getting longer. It keeps getting longer. I would thank so many people if I could. You know, one thing I really regret is I didn't write an acknowledgements page for my thesis. And I was telling you, like, part of it might have been, I was just, like, super stressed because we graduated uh, as the pandemic was starting. Mm-hmm. But, like, I should have written an acknowledgements page. It would have made life so much better. I would have been, like, thinking about gratitude instead of, like, freaking out all the time. Um, and actually, it was uh, my friend Isaac sent me his thesis because we did a thesis swap and I was reading his. And he had this beautiful acknowledgements page. And I was like, I want, why didn't I do that? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. lots of reasons why. You can always do it now if you want I know, to. I know. Yeah, I made I made sure to like make one for the chapbook, the little poetry chapbook I made. Mm-hmm. I put it at the front because I'm like, this is important <laughs> to me. I actually care a lot about this page. Um, and yeah, like it's funny. I always thought putting your family on an acknowledgments page was like a little cheesy um, or cliche. But as I was writing it, it was like, yeah, yeah, like I would not be here without like all the things they did. And even though they're like things I don't agree with all the time, it's true that like I needed that. I needed them. I wouldn't have the material to write things without my insane family. So <laughs> I always have to acknowledge that in the page, right? There are so many people to think and there's never enough space to think them. Like I remember I was this is sort of a tangent, but I was writing these academic papers because I did epidemiology research in college. And you don't really get an acknowledgement section in academic papers a lot of the time. Um, But one way you can acknowledge people is through the listing of the authors. So a lot of times like academic papers have lots of authors, right? And like the ordering, especially in science matters a lot. Like usually your mentor goes last and the person who did the most work goes first um and there's like this big debate about like what happens in the middle like if someone just proofreads your paper do you give them authorship like do you give them the space as an author to be an author and I remember I asked someone who like gave me advice um to be an author and later IPI was like you can ask her if you want, but you also don't have to ask her. And I'm like, I don't know what constitutes enough work to be an author. I just am really grateful that she helped me out because I didn't know what I was doing and now things are working. Yeah, it's and it's like weirdly thorny territory because it's sort of about like who gets credit for the work and for how much work. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I'm not in sciences like that, uh, like you are, but I have had friends that make films, movies, mm. And you don't get a lot of credit for helping people make movies, it turns out. Like, it's fun to help edit them and to read the script and stuff, but there's no formal acknowledgement other than mm. what's in your heart <laughs> about it, oh, which no. is fine. Like, it's not, I'm not complaining at all, Spencer, if you're listening to this. <laughs> absolutely fine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... And we talked about it. I was like, am I going to get credit for helping you edit this? And he's like, no. <laughs> like, okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just super weird. And there are, like, just really weird norms, too, like, depending on discipline. Sometimes I wish we were, like, other sciences were more like physics because in physics, uh, our, our physics papers are famous for having, like, hundreds of authors, like, just hundreds and hundreds of people. And, like, doesn't it feel fun to, like, write a paper with hundreds of people? 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe this is wishful thinking on my part. <laughs> That's I mean, it's awesome. Science is a collaborative sport, right? Always. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so good. It's fun to read stuff about that physics stuff. I enjoy mm-hmm. reading and learning about it. I could never do the math involved with actually understanding physics, but I try my best to understand the words of it anyways. Yeah, that's how I feel when I ask my sister Amberly to explain her research to me. She does, she studies chemistry and physics, and so there are like things I like sort of know, but like the deeper she goes, the like less I understand. Um, thankfully, she's pretty patient at explaining things. Um, but yeah, sci- I think science writing is just really tricky territory in general because so many scientists now are like really specialized and sort of like live and breathe in this very niche work and it becomes harder and harder to like explain to someone else why they why they should care like why it's interesting or important Um, and I feel like a lot of pop popular science writing like might oversimplify stuff um and like not get into some of the nuances uh, or, like, the intricacies or difficulties of, like, actually conducting science. Like, yesterday I was talking to my mom about how we think scientists are really superstitious, which is, like, not something that you expect. But, like, the fact of the matter is if you run the same experiment twice, you could get totally different results just because of, like, random things like time of day or humidity or, like, a different batch of your reagent. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how, like, you know, she knows people who are, like, well, when I did it, I was standing on my left foot. So I should stand on my left foot every time I do this. Or like, I have a friend who was trying to synthesize this thing and was having so much trouble. And then she was like, I'm going to paint my nails the same color as like the thing I'm trying to make. And I'm going to use this like the same oil bath, like this one. And I'm going to go in in the morning. And like, there was, there was so many things. And part of it's just like, well, it's not going to hurt to be superstitious, but it's, I don't think it's something people expect from like scientists. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's fun. People are just superstitious all the time, always. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit superstitious about writing. I'm going to wear this particular shirt because I've been wearing this shirt for like three days and I've written good stuff. So I'm just going to put it on again. And that's crazy. Like, stinky shirt, go wash your shirt. (laughs) But it works in my head. It does. It really does. Um... I feel like science writing sometimes needs to be a little bit more simplified for people to understand it. Like mm-hmm. Neil deGrasse Tyson wrote a book, uh, Astrophysics for People That Don't... I'm going to look it up because I'm mm-hmm. going to get the title wrong. Uh, yeah, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. So it's written in uh, a way that everyone can understand. So sometimes I feel like it needs to be written in that way, but I I agree with you in that it doesn't always all need to be written like that. Like people need to be able to understand other scientists need to be able to understand because science is a collaborative sport and you need to be able to replicate the experiments done. Hmm. Yeah. One other thing we wanted to talk about related to acknowledgements pages are what classes or teachers changed you. I know you talked about Romaine, Hmm. um, are there other classes maybe back to like high school or earlier or even college that yeah. you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was thinking about high school. I've been thinking about high school kind of a lot because recently I posted on Facebook that I moved to Chicago and a bunch of people from high school 
contacted me and said, let's hang out and get together. And I'm like, it's a pandemic. No, thank you. But either way, I've been thinking a lot about high school and um, the classes and teachers I had there that changed me a lot. Two that I'm thinking of in particular are James Sabathney and uh, Mr. Reynolds, Mm. Tom Reynolds, Mm. Tom Reynolds. Uh, Tom Reynolds was my English teacher. He taught me AP uh, European English, I think, whatever Mm -hmm. those classes were, and also American Lit. He was amazing. He taught me to love poetry and he was just a really great teacher. And then James Sabathney was my history teacher for four years and also my Model UN coach. Mm. And he was awesome. And I started Model UN in my high school. So it was a learning process for both of us. Mm. And he was really fun. And we went on a lot of field trips for Model UN together with him and the whole team. But a really great teacher who taught me how to be a little bit more grown up and think for myself as well. Wow. You said he was your teacher for four years? Yeah, I had him. Well, I don't think he was my teacher when I was a sophomore, but he was still my coach. And Mm -hmm. I definitely had him freshman year for AP uh, world history. Mm -hmm. And then junior and senior year, I'm pretty sure I took classes with him because I just enjoyed the way he taught. Yeah. I feel like it's so special to like know a teacher, have a teacher mentor for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking now about, I had another history teacher in high school. His name was Michael Lawyer, and he was also wonderful. Wonder- and this is why I like history, because I just think about the fun fun teachers I had in high school that yeah. made me really enjoy it, and otherwise I probably would have been really bored by it. It's fun to think about them. Do you have any teachers that have changed you? Oh yeah, like so many. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in high school, I... My IB English class, like, was everything to me. And and it's funny because, like, probably if you asked the me in high school what classes were, like, important to me, I'd probably say, like, the stuff that took the most time, which is, like, orchestra and art um, and, like, maybe some of my science and math classes. And it just felt really different because we were reading stuff that I had never, ever been exposed to before in other English classes, like... There was no Shakespeare. We started with works in translation. Um, It was the first time I've read like novels that weren't originally written in English. Isn't that crazy? Um, That's crazy. Right? Uh, And there was, there's so much bonding in IB. Like there was this book that, I don't think it's in, in the curriculum anymore, but there was this book that people dreaded. It's called Independent People. Um, it it's an it's this fat Icelandic novel about <laughs> an Icelandic sheep herder. <laughs> crazy. Um, it's it is a crazy novel. The guy, the author, won the the Nobel Prize, like I think in the sixties or something. So it's not like an unknown book, but no one in that building knew about independent people except for the people that took Ivy English. Um, yeah, I really loved class. I haven't even talked about the teachers yet. Oh my god! Oh yeah. So what, what are what? Who are they? What are yeah, the teachers. My teachers honestly made Ivy English. Um, my junior year, uh, my teacher was Allison Wells Padell, who is still a dear mentor. She's no longer teaching. She's running a flower farm now in Kokomo. That no. Yeah, <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, she is amazing, and she, similar to um, you, she was like a mentor 
outside of the classroom too. Like she was my, um, she was our sponsor for the TEDx club we'd started at my high school. And so she helped a lot with that and like figuring out how to start a club and like getting people to join. Um, and she gave me this gift. I still have it on my desk right now, actually. When I graduated, she gave me this journal and it's like one line a day. Um, and I, it's funny, like I didn't, I haven't written in it in years and I like started writing in it this year again. Um, and so it's been interesting to like see what I wrote my senior year of high school and like see what I write now. Is there any, uh, passage in particular that you are thinking of right now? That in you my wrote? journal? In senior year of high school? You don't have to read it. You don't have to read it. Oh, no. It's incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> As yeah. journals tend to be. <laughs> Maybe I'll write about it one day. Maybe one day. You don't have to read it. I'm sorry yeah. for putting it No, on you're spot. good. You're good. I am such a, like an eavesdropper, and I'm like so curious. I would definitely ask the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a bunch of... Uh, I keep uh, not journals, but sketchbooks. Mm-hmm all in college. I think it started in college. Mm -hmm. I have like five of them and they're all full of stuff from those four years. And I probably will never show anyone ever. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you just write for yourself. Um, Oh, and my senior year, um, my teacher was Jen Rhodes, um, who is awesome. Uh, She like majored in theater and she would make us like (laughs) we would read plays and she'd make us read plays in front of class. And she was always like, no, you need to read, like, I don't know. I loved when she read, and she's just had this, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember senior year. Senior year was, like, such a special time because you knew you were leaving. So, like, the way you treated school was just different. Like, there was, like, a sudden nostalgia or something. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Jen Rhodes always, like, cheered. I feel like she cheered all of us on knowing that we were leaving and, like, always wanted to know what our plans were, where we were going. Yeah. And then that that was the first class in which I read African-American Lit. We had, like, a whole semester where we read Langston Hughes poems, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison. Oh, my God, the first Toni Morrison I read in class. Yeah, I love Toni Morrison. I can't believe I didn't read her until, like, senior year of high school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What a special time. I don't know. But yeah, the other classes that were special to me were like orchestra and art. Orchestra because I like just spent so much time in the orchestra room because we had rehearsal all the time and like we knew each other. We had the same teacher like all four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to a big high school, so we had we actually had three orchestra teachers and we became like pretty close to all of them. Yeah, an art class. I had a pretty eccentric art teacher, mm-hmm. but... It, it felt so freeing to, like, be able to do what you wanted. He, w- he would just be like, yeah, like, you want to work with this medium? Like, the materials are here. Like, use some paper. <laughs> Here's oh, paper. Gosh. Yeah. That would be awesome. I didn't have time to take uh, art in high school because my school was super focused on AP classes. So I took, like, eight AP classes oh my, my senior year. And um, that was hard. I didn't have time for band or... Um, art, but I did take a graphic design class my sophomore or junior year of high school, and that was super fun, Mm -hmm. super fun to learn about, and the teacher was nice. I wish I could remember her name, but I remember her being very nice. Are you, and you don't have to answer this, are you Facebook friends with any of your 
high school teachers because I'm Facebook friends with all of my um, orchestra teachers and it's really fun like seeing what they're up to. Like one of them raises alpacas and like bakes a lot. Another um, uh, another one of my teachers is like now teaching at a university and like is like moving up in life and everyone loves him. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm friends with a couple of my teachers, Michael Lawyer and his wife. I'm friends with them and also a lot of middle school teachers, like a lot of middle school teachers. I'm friends with my choir teacher, Linda Julian. I love her. <laughs> She's super sweet. Uh-huh. And we still talk. Like my, my middle school was really small. My graduating class was 90 people. So we got to know the teachers really well. And I'm still friends with a lot of them on Facebook. And then my high school was a little bit bigger, but I am friends with some of them on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. My biology teacher, my freshman year, I'm friends with her, you know, wow. just fun stuff. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'd really love to talk about Mr. Han or Sue Han or Dr. Han now. I'm sorry. Got a doctorate. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about Dr. Han, uh, my former orchestra teacher, because he's awesome. Like, I, I remember being kind of intimidated by the orchestra program. And I know there were some really intense years where, like, the teaching was intense and, like, the students were intense and it was just, like, kind of toxic Thankfully, like, I came in when all of that was dying down. Um, but I don't know. Mr. Han always just had so much care, I think, for us and, for the, and like, taught us to care about music a lot. Um, and it's been really cool, like, like, keeping up with him and, like, being on Facebook um, and seeing what he's up to because now he teaches at Baldwin-Wallace Conservatory, which is in Ohio. Um, I think he's director of orchestras there and he like, he seems like super happy. The other day he posted a, a YouTube video of him making kimchi with his mom. And I love that. It's, I think it's just weird. It was weird for me to become Facebook friends with some of my teachers because I was like, you're not real people beforehand. And I, at some point you realize that your teachers are also like just living their lives. Like they're real people. Yeah. Yeah. Being on Twitter and following teachers on Twitter is weird, too, because they just post regular tweets like everyone else. And you're like, (laughs) you taught me economics. (laughs) That's a little weird. (laughs) So we're following uh, college professors on Twitter as well. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm following Adrian Matika, and he's putting out a bunch of work right now, which is amazing. He's coming out with a new book. Um which I should probably look up and plug. That's awesome. Let's plug it. He's coming out with a book called Standing on the Verge Mm -hmm. in 2021. And it's cool to follow him and see his experience being a poet in the world. And he was poet laureate, laureate, poet laureate um, a couple years ago Mm -hmm. for Indiana. And it's, pretty amazing to see what he's doing with all of that I feel like I just had so many amazing teachers in college like I'm I'm like there's no way I'm gonna list all of them to be honest I feel like that should maybe be a whole separate episode as well just to talk about the teachers that changed us in college this one maybe is about high school people that helped us grow yeah that's true (laughs) 
So what was your experience? Now we're going to switch gears because I just decided we're going to switch gears. <laughs> what was your experience making stuff for the gratitude workbook that we're about to publish on for Soup Bone? Yeah, forthcoming. Um, mm-hmm. It's weird because I am editing this one and it's weird being like an editor because I don't know what that means and I'm like learning how to typeset and format stuff. Um, but the piece I wrote was a comic slash poetry prompt. Um, and to be honest, I like wanted something that was like different in form and medium and that I could like have fun with. And I'm a big fan of Edith Zimmerman's email newsletter, Drawing Links, and what she makes like these little comics about her life. They're really funny and her drawing style is awesome. It's like kind of sketchy and sometimes like very scribbly um and she doesn't like care too much about like making it perfect like if she miswrites a word she'll just like type it over whatever she's handwritten she'll like just white it out um so I was really inspired by Edith Zimmerman's comics and I guess now that I'm like reading more graphic memoirs and graphic novels I'd really like to make more like comics or like illustrated writing I just think it's a really beautiful form I don't know like at the time I I think I was also thinking about Good Talk by Mira Jacob um, Mm -hmm. which is a graphic memoir about raising a mixed race brown son uh, and like talking to him about race Uh, like it opens with this really funny uh, conversation about Michael Jackson and like blackness and whiteness um, which is like really thorny territory to talk about mm-hmm. to a six-year-old mm-hmm. um and I, I I don't know I think I didn't grow up reading a lot of comics like I really love Calvin and Hobbes um mm-hmm. but I didn't get around to Calvin and Hobbes until like high school I don't know if you've read Calvin and Hobbes have you? oh I yeah. love that my uh childhood dog was named Calvin <gasps> after Calvin and Hobbes no. yeah Aww. yeah okay we should talk about Calvin and Hobbes. I do I love that I comic Comics have always been close to my heart because my mm-hmm. dad uh, would buy us big books of comics when we were kids and about to go like on car trips, road trips, or even in the plane. So big books of Calvin and Hobbes, Mutz. Um, I think those two were the main mm-hmm. ones that I read when I was a little kid. And then as I got older, kind of fell off, wasn't really thinking about it in high school. And then in college, I took a graphic novel and comics class and thought more deeply about the formation of comics and how they exist and really started to like them more seriously. Yeah. 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 I would love to be able to make a comic one day, but that's (laughs) pretty far off in the future, a graphic novel or something. I know. Wouldn't everyone? It seems almost like more work than a like a poetry collection or yeah. a novel because you have to draw everything yeah but the comic that you made for Supon is beautiful I loved it I read it and I was like it's so nice and so you and <laughs> I think it's a great addition to this this uh zine we're putting out oh thank you what was it like I mean your piece is also incredible what was thank it like you. writing a choose your own adventure story like I imagine that was crazy to like map out yeah it was uh <laughs> I don't think I did it super good uh I, I think, loved it uh, oh thank you thank you I think that I ne- the next time I do 
a choose your own adventure which I want to try again um, I will make it longer and have more options to go back pages and go forward more than just one this one is like 11 or 12 pages long so not much room to go anywhere in it but the experience of writing it was arduous like I started writing it and I didn't really have an idea of where it was going to end which is never a good idea when you start writing something um and so I wrote the beginning part and then I sat on it for like a week and a half didn't write anything at all in that week and I texted you because it was due and I missed the due date twice (laughs) um (laughs) and made something beautiful and then I made something beautiful so I suppose maybe missing due date was a good thing I don't know (laughs) I don't know, <laughs> but it turned out good. I, I, I enjoy the way that it ended up. I think it looks really nice. Um, and I'm now at the stage where it feels like I didn't write it, which happens for me every time I see something with other people's work. I'm like, what a nice piece of work someone else wrote that isn't me. <laughs> you have like this distance now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's really fun to experiment with like new forms. Like I think it'd be really fun to try and write and choose your own adventure or something else. But I feel like I'm thinking more, maybe this is like me starting to think more like a poet. Now I like want to make things and then I try to think about what form is best, but not just like a poet, poetic form, but also like what genre, what like, how can I make this? Should I even make anything at all? And or should I just like bake cookies and eat them, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Often the right thing to do is to bake cookies and eat them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, are you excited for the gratitude scene? Like, it's not what I expected, to be honest. Like, I, I think I expected, like, an adult coloring book, but, like, a little more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, it's true there are beautiful coloring pages in here, but it's not just about, like, pretty things or, like, saying gratitude as a form of like self-help or something I feel like we have a lot of thoughtful things in here that and a lot of things that don't initially seem gratitude related Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the future if we did another one of these I'd want to like work more collaboratively with people and like have more like interactive activities and really loop people in to like living with the workbook but I am very happy with how this one turned out. Or yeah, turn out. I'm super happy with how it turned out. I think everyone's piece shows a great deal of thought, different ways that gratefulness can be shown, experienced, and felt. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. The whole thing is just <laughs> awesome. All thinking right. of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Where are you thinking of? Just Kala's piece, uh, her two pieces, the recipes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. No, I wouldn't have thought about that being meaning gratefulness. And then I think about it and I'm like, yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Making recipes is a way to show love and care and to share things with other people. So, Actually, yeah. the one that keeps blowing me away every time I read it is um, Damon's How to Make a Blingy Stamp. Because it's on the surface, it's just like a weird essay about like making... the certain type of gif but it's also like this incredibly smart and gorgeous meditation on pandemic life and like being stuck in this time Mm -hmm. um he's just 
such a beautiful writer, poet, yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's a beautiful piece. Yeah. So looking forward to when that's coming out. Maybe mm-hmm. by the time this pod comes out, it'll be out. We'll see. <laughs> um, and if it is, we'll link it in our show notes. Yep. Um, do you want us to end with a poem, Genevieve? Yes. You found this great poem by Nikki Finney called yeah. The Making of Paper. Who's yes. reading it this week? Uh, I think it's me. Okay. Um, I, I can talk a little bit about like where it's from. Mm-hmm. Um, for Ross's class, he had us listen to a bunch of lectures once we went online. Um, and one of them was this lecture by Nikki Finney, um, a self-described poet farmer. Um, and she talked about her teacher, Tony Cade Bambara, um, and the, this poem that she wrote for Tony when she was in hospice. Um, and since we've been talking a lot about teachers and gratitude, this episode, I thought it'd be a really nice poem to end on. Um, and there's a little preface to this poem that Nikki Finney wrote that I will also read. All right. Making of Paper for Tony Cade Bambara. In the early 80s, I spent two years in a writing workshop that Tony Cade Bambara held in her Atlanta home. Anybody in the community who was writing was welcome. I adored the opportunity to sit at this great writer's feet who knew so much about so much. In 1990, she moved to Philadelphia and was later diagnosed with cancer. We talked on the long distance line when we could. I would always ask if there was anything she needed that I could send. She usually answered no. But in our last conversation, which took place one week before she crossed over, she held the phone a little longer. Maybe, she said, maybe you could send some paper. And what about one of those fat, juicy pens? Imagine that, you asking me for paper. For the record, let me state, I would hunt a tree down for you, stalk it until it fell, all loud and out of breath in the forest. Much as I love a tree, fat, tall, and free. As anti-violent and pro-vegetarian as I am, never been much for strapping a gun to any of my many hips for any reason whatsoever, but on the copper penny eyes of my grandmother, I tell you this, I would hunt a tree down for you. And when found, I would pull it all the way down the road through congested city streets all by myself and deliver it straight away to your hospital bed. One single extra large floral arrangement, something loud and free with red and purple bow. Or better yet, this tree-loving, gun-hating, geechy girl would strap a Wild West gun belt machete around her hips, enter the worst part of the woods alone, and go trunk to trunk until the right one appeared, growing peaceful in its thousand-year-old natal plot. Look it right in its round, rough, ancient eyes, and confess away, tell it straight to its woody face, my about-to-do deed. I've even touched it on its limbs, fingers begging forgiveness, give as much comfort to it as I could, while trying to explain the necessariness of its impending death, me standing there, 
My gorilla, my love eyes spilling all over everything, sending up papyrus prayers that all begin with, I'm so sorry, but Tony Cade needs paper. Only then would I slash its lovely body into one million thin black cotton rag sheets, just your uncompromising size. Send you some paper? Oh yes, paper is coming to Tony Cade, wagon loads, in the name of you sweet black writing life, from black writers everywhere, refusing to leave the arena to the fools. Paper is on the way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soup Bone Podcast. This podcast is a project of Soup Bone, a humanities collective. You can learn more about Soup Bone at soupbonecollective.com. This episode was edited by me, Tiffany Sia, and our audio engineer is Damon Pham. Our theme music was written with the help of Alec Belcher. The weather today is the sun after a slushy first snow.